hope you're up for this. I'm really up for this. Uh, we're in the middle of a series that we've called Masterclass, and uh, it's, it's based on the understanding that, um, that Jesus is perfect theology because he's God, and that Jesus is perfect humanity because he's the perfect expression of what humanity is all about, but it's also based on the understanding that Jesus is perfect wisdom. He knows us and he understands us and he's God and he's got good ideas and he's got a book out. And in his book, there is all these incredible expressions of wisdom about what God thinks about life and what God thinks about relationships and what God thinks about uh, happiness and what God thinks tonight about generosity and, and how we handle our stuff, the stuff of our lives. And so I want to tell a very simple story tonight. Um, which you'll find in one of the Gospels, in Luke's Gospel. Luke is a, a doctor. He, he writes uh, what he has heard from eyewitnesses, and he writes the, the story of Jesus. And in Luke's Gospel, chapter 12, he tells a story that if you've hung around church long enough, you will know the story. And actually, it's a deeply offensive story. It's a story that uh, if you've hung around the story enough, you don't find it offensive. But if you read it for the first time, it's a deeply offensive story in our culture. I wonder if any of you have got one of these. Any of you in the place you live, your student accommodation or your house, have one of these? I've got like loads of them. If you've lived any length of time and you have any storage in your house anywhere, you've got one of these. Let me tell you what's in one of these. Junk is in one of these. Stuff that, um, that you think you can't possibly throw away because one day you're going to look at it and you better keep it because one day it may be important. Or even stuff that you think, if I don't keep that, I'll have to buy another one of it when I need it for that occasion, which I'm probably never going to need it for. And then, uh, and then, of course, the occasion never comes or the occasion does come. And But you've got 77 of these now because they multiply. They breed in outhouses and garages. How many of you have at home or you own a garage? How many of you keep a car in that garage? Yes, not many of you. Those of you who do are just storing it there. Because garages are for storage, aren't they? They're for the excess of our, of, of our lives and our lives. Do, do you know that, um, so these are just, a, do you know, 22 billion pounds a year is what the personal storage industry is worth. 22 billion pounds a year because we won't get rid of the stuff that's around our lives. Somebody one day is going to undo the stuff. It's going to be your kids. And then they're going to throw it away. They're going to go, why did they keep this, this stuff in, in, in our lives? And the problem with the stuff is that it takes a place in our house. But the real problem with the stuff is it takes a place in our head and takes a place in our heart. How many of you have got one of these? I know you're all tech savvy now, but, but um, this is, for those of you who are, this is called a file, and this is paper in the file. Some of you have got no idea what I just said. But, but basically, those, your parents used to have one of these, and you'd have several of these. Let me tell you what this is. This is the record of the things that I own. This is the, war- 
this is not actually it. I don't own that much. Okay. This is the, this is the, these are the warranties and the extended warranties and the insurances and the guarantees of the stuff that I used to own, I think. I'm not even sure I own it anymore, but it's all here just in case one day. You know the problem with it? The, one, the time that actually goes wrong, you're out of warranty or you've lost the piece of paper. But the problem is this. This doesn't just take space in your house. It takes space in your head. And it takes space in your heart. And um, Jesus wants to talk about margin. And Jesus wants to talk about what it looks like to be rich towards God. And Jesus wants to talk about what it looks like to be generous with everything that he pours into our lives. Jesus wants to talk about freedom. What would it look like for you not to be stressed by stuff? You not to be stressed by finances or resources. What would it look like for you to have freedom? To really express what you want to do, what you know you're called to do, who you really are. So what would it look like for you to love people in the way that God wants you to love people? Jesus says, I want to teach you to live fearlessly and stresslessly in a volatile, uncertain, complex and angry world. Where you love people and you're rich towards God. And so turn with me to that passage of scripture in Luke chapter 12 where Jesus tells a story which is kind of mind frying but I think heart freeing and, uh, and we're going to read it together and I'm going to make some comments and then we're going to see what God wants to do with those comments. Luke chapter 12. Jesus is speaking to a crowd and they're like really excited because Jesus is like front page, center spread, pull out, weekend news. You know, he's like, everybody is talking about Jesus. Jesus seems to speak with authority, unlike any of the teachers of the law. Jesus seems to, 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 to impact people's lives. People get changed and lives get transformed when Jesus is around. And so the crowd is around and then someone comes to him, verse 13, and says to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, do you know, I, I love how sometimes Jesus is just very curt with people. You ever noticed that in the Bible? Jesus doesn't, isn't always lovely, lovely and gentle, gentle. Sometimes he just gets quite abrupt with people. It's, it's interesting. So Jesus says, maybe I'm reading this wrong, but Jesus says, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? It was, it's not very gentle. I mean, you can say it more gently if you want to, but it doesn't seem gentle. And then he says to him, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. You can get that if you want. <laughs> as long as we can listen in. Be, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. It's quite an offensive passage of scripture. And then he goes on and tells him this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. It's a reasonable question. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And according to our free market economy, we would say that's a quite a natural thing to do. There is nothing wrong with that. And I'll say to myself... You have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Once again, what's wrong with that? But God said to him, this is where it gets offensive. You fool. 
This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you prepared for yourself? It'll just be empty storage boxes. That's not in the Bible, by the way. This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich towards God. That's a, that's a really kind of sobering story Jesus tells. And, and it's quite offensive. I'll tell you why it's offensive. It's offensive in our culture because it challenges two of the strongest philosophical impulses that we have. We're going to call them mine and more. Mine and more. Really strong cultural philosophical impulses to own things and to acquire things. Ownership and acquisition. And and the interesting thing in our culture is we've been sold the idea that ownership and acquisition brings freedom and happiness. If we can own things, then no one else can tell us what to do with those things. They can be our things and, and we can have some freedom. And if we can have more things, then somehow not only will we better our things, but we will better our life. The problem is this. With ownership comes responsibility. And with acquisition comes maintenance. And, and, and your ownership, which is supposed to free you up, and your acquisition, which is supposed to better you up, actually begins to do the reverse for us. And those of us who've lived a little longer than some of you have lived know that that's absolutely true. The more you own, the more stress it brings. The more you acquire, the less oftentimes happy you are. You, you, you find it difficult to have margin and space To be truly kind to people. To feel any compassion because your life is so complex managing the stuff of your life. You want to do the right thing, the best thing and the noble thing. But the thing that is screaming out at you, the thing that takes up bandwidth, the thing that takes up airtime for you, prevents you actually doing the stuff that you want to do. So let's, let's deal with this passage of scripture. Jesus says, I can offer you freedom. I can offer you freedom. That's a huge claim, isn't it? I can offer you financial freedom by dealing with the issue of mine. And I'm going to deal with it by reminding you that it's not yours. I I can deal with your mine issue by telling you that it's mine, says God. I, I can deal with the fact that you feel... A, a, a need to and a right to ownership by reminding you that I own everything. It's not yours. Jesus starts talking about this rich man. And the rich man does really well and he accumulates stuff and builds bigger barns. And, and, and the, heart, the heart of the issue is not, Jesus isn't making some political statement or, or talking about some political ideology. I don't think Jesus is doing that. I think Jesus is just saying the issue is that the guy thinks it's his stuff. The issue is the guy thinks this is, this is his stuff. And it's not. You know, in, in the day when people heard Jesus teaching this stuff, they'd have been just as offended as you, even more so. But they, they're not offended about the things that you're offended about. They're offended about the fact that this guy says to himself, I will say to myself. 
I will say to myself, because that wasn't a concept that was understood. You never said something to yourself. You never acted individualistically. You acted as a family. You acted for the good of people around you. You acted for community. If you got rich, everyone got rich. If you were being blessed, everyone became blessed. It wasn't an issue for you just to think about yourself. And so they were totally shocked when he thought about himself. Because he should be thinking about everybody. The guy thinks it's his stuff. He's not living beyond himself. He's living for himself. That's why in the passage there were all these words. I, I, my, he, I, I, my, 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 my. Jesus says the issue is this. He's not rich towards God. And we don't quite understand that. But the people listening would have totally understood what Jesus is saying. Jesus is reminding them of an ancient principle that began at the very dawn of time. He's reminding them of the fact that he owns everything, that he created everything, that he sustains everything, that it all belongs to him. And he's reminding them of the fact that the human activity is all about stewardship of the stuff that God owns, management of the stuff that God owns. It's never yours. You get it on trust and on loan and you get to use it to cooperate with the purposes of God, which is loving people and blessing people. And that's the problem that this guy has God. You don't own anything. I mean, that might sound like a really challenging thing, but I think it's a really freeing thing. Your, your, your house is not your house. Your, your, your finances are not your finances. Your, your career is not your career. Your, your, your salary is not your salary. Your, even your children are not your children. They are, they are given to you on loan from God and you get to steward them and use them so that he receives glory and you cooperate with his purposes and it's a completely different economy. It changes everything. That's what it means to be rich towards God. And we, we find that so hard, don't we? We, we understand the impulse, but very, very quickly we start to think, well, w- what if we took God's place? What if we start to own things? What if we start saying things like, it's my job, it's my house, it's my career, it's my family, it's my dream, it's my vision, it's my stuff. And, uh, and we start off by holding our hands like this and feeling very free and feeling not stressed by stuff. But then we start to hold our things like this and own them and they begin to own us and possess us. And then we get all stressed and we start buying boxes and files. And then we have no bandwidth left to be rich towards God. And we're so anxious that we have no compassion because we want to be compassionate, but there's no room for compassion because we're so stressed out about managing the stuff that we really think if we're given a moment to think doesn't really matter anymore. And Jesus says, if you want to be free, you have to decide to live according to a different economy. I want to deal with mine. And then, but, but that's not all he's doing in this passage of Scripture. Stay with me. He wants to deal not just with mine. He wants to deal with more. Look at verse 15. He's very, very direct. Sorry, this is quite a direct preach. I'm going to try and make it funny at different times just to pretend it's not, but it is very direct. Verse 15. Jesus, that was one of the ways of trying to make it funny, by the way. Verse 15. Jesus says, take care and be on your guard against all greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Jesus is trying to deal with the more issue. 
This is, this is huge. This, this is the reason advertising exists. This, you, I mean, you've worked that out. You're smart. Advertising isn't just to annoy you in the middle of Dr. Foster or to give a kind of cliffhanger, what's going to happen in the next 15 minutes? Not that you watch Dr. Foster. It's pretty grim. Uh, but but, but this, that's what advertising is all about. Designed to have us desiring stuff we didn't even know existed 15 minutes earlier. That's what's going on. Have you noticed that? Yeah, suddenly what happens is something that goes on in your heart, maybe you're just stronger than, than I am, but something goes on in my heart and it, it starts with, that's nice, that, that would be... And then you begin to just, I, 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 I could choose that. And then it becomes, I, I probably need that. And then, and then it becomes, if I don't have that, I'll be an incomplete individual. And they've got you. On the end of your little finger, they have you. The desire for more, and sometimes it's just, if we're being honest, it's just status. We would never say this, by the way, but it's status. If I have that, then I'm, I'm, I'm in that category of people, and, and I live amongst those people. I need to have that thing because it keeps my status up, and sometimes it's nowhere near as crass as that. It's actually just kind of security. If I can have these things in my life, it gives me some sense of security. I, I'm, I think I'm a bit of a sucker for this, if I'm honest. I don't know what it is, but I, I, I kind of like to store things. I kind of, I, I don't know what, I think maybe there's some kind of apocalyptic winter about to come. But, but every time, uh, every, every year around about this time, I get lots of firewood in that would last maybe two years. And then I make sure the oil is all, all, all stored up. And, and then, I, I don't, this is really embarrassing, but I buy lots of toilet rolls. I do, I, I don't know what, I don't know why, you can't eat them, you can't, but I just, I like stack them. And it's my kind of way to go, you know, this is going to be security for us. My family is going to survive on, on toilet rolls of firewood if something happens in East Lothian. <laughs> this. But seriously, so for some of us, it's just security. If I have more stuff, then, then I'm reliant, that's my margin, I'm reliant upon that. Or, or it's satisfaction. We try and inoculate our sense against, uh, ourselves against discomfort. And Jesus tells this story. This guy's here and he has a business and it's, it's flourishing. Listen, let's, uh, before we get any further, it's not wrong to make money, by the way. I think sometimes we're, we're weird about, about the money thing. There's nothing wrong with making money. If God's given you an ability to make money, make loads of it. Don't hurt people in the process. Don't stand on people in the process, but make loads of money. If God's given you an ability to do that, that's good. If God has given you the ability to make money and enjoy money, that's good as well. Don't, don't, don't let's get all puritanical about it. No one should enjoy anything and shouldn't have anything. No, that's not what God is saying for one moment. He wants you to enjoy life but because he loves you. But, but, the, but the problem is, if this kind of economy goes on unchecked, uncritiqued, it becomes a rhythm and a pattern that is nuts and it makes no sense and it has you on a hamster wheel just trying to accumulate more and more stuff and more and more money and, and, and because you can afford a bigger house, you buy a bigger house and because you could have a bigger mortgage, you have a bigger mortgage and because you can have some of the shinier things, you have the shinier things and then you begin to, it begins to clog up your art, the arteries of your life to the point when you have no bandwidth and no space and no margin to be rich towards God. More will kill you. And what Jesus is saying is there is so much more. You can be rich towards God. There is more in life than making money and having security and owning some stuff and retiring and playing golf. There is a kingdom to live in. There are kids to be raised. There's vision to be realized and dreams to run after. 
There are young men who need spiritual fathers because they were never fathered. There are young women who need to know they're fearfully and wonderfully made because nobody ever told them and they act as if that's not the reality. There are people who know nothing about Jesus and know nothing about freedom that's possible in their life and they need freed up. There are communities that are, are, are wastelands that know nothing of love and grace and the joy and abundance of God. The problem in this passage of scripture is not just stuff, it's the accumulation of stuff. And it stresses you and it isolates you and it suffocates you and you have no margin. Do you know that that, that, that incredible combination of the tyranny of choice, the slog of maintenance and the stress of storage will kill you. Let me say that again. The tyranny of choice. You know the tyranny of choice. You know, I don't know if this makes any sense to some of you, but when I was growing up, choice has gone mad. I mean, I'm all for choice, but choice has gone totally mad. When I was growing up, the, the hot drink choice was instant coffee or builder's tea. If you were kind of posh, you probably got some lemon in your tea rather than milk, but that was the kind of choice. There were three options. That was, I mean, I'm sure there were places where you could get something else, but they were the kind of three options. Nowadays, it'll do your head in. I don't know how many different coffees with frapper, fromy, chippuccino stuff you can get with chocolate drops and, and, and drizzle on the top and, and it has to be 85 degrees and it has to, you know, all this you know, nonsense stuff that it has to have and, and even if you don't like it, mm, nice. uh, there, are, there, <laughs> there are choices everywhere and it'll do your head in. Do you know, when I, had, when I owned three shirts, it was a very simple thing in the morning. Do I want a blue one, a black one, or a white one? And now, because I totally love clothes, I've got like loads of shirts. This becomes a freaky thing. You know, what am I going to choose? And then, and then if you multiply that by every kind of clothes type, it becomes a very stressful experience getting up in, in the morning for someone. And then you multiply it by every other decision that you're trying to make. You've got so many choices in this. You know, I, I um, No, I'm not going to tell you that story. <laughs> tyranny of choice and the slog of maintenance how many how many screens do you have in your life quite a lot i imagine you've got an iphone thing and then you've got a tablet thing and then you've got a laptop thing and you've got a tv thing and i don't know what else you've got you've got all you've got all these screens going on you've got more than enough to be honest there's no one in this room that is intelligent enough to use all the power even in your cell you know phone really there's so much I hope there isn't because I'm way off that. There's just like so much power in the stuff. But, when, but then Apple show up and they do a new launch and you suddenly become convinced that you need the thing because it's got a better camera. Although you never take photos. <laughs> it's just got a better camera. What will Instagram think of me? The stress of storage. You've got so much space in your house and no space in your house. You haven't learned to be rich towards God. God says, I want to give you margin. I want to give you margin to love people. I want to give you margin to become fully who you are. I want to give you margin to be generous. I want to give you margin so you're not stressed out by the future and finances and how this is all going to work and whether the pension is going to happen or whether the kids are going to cost you. I want to give you margin. This is a huge issue for me. If I'm honest, it, I, I, I joke about it, but I'm not really afraid of many things in life. Apart from the dark, I told you that a couple of weeks ago. I'm a bit afraid of the dark. But I do fear finances. 
I do, I do, I'd have this done and it's because of stuff that happened in the past and it's because of the way I was brought up and all that kind of stuff but, but it's still there for me and I, I still work on all that kind of stuff. I, how's it going to work? How's it all going to work out? Come back to the passage with me. Luke chapter 12. Jesus says, the real deal here is fear and trust. What do you fear and who do you trust? And Jesus says, I want you to trust me. I want you to trust me to invest fully in my kingdom. And I want you to trust that I'm going to look after yours. I want you to trust me so much that you invest fully in my, you're all in, you're all in. You're not holding stuff back, you're not having margin, you've not got stacks and stacks of boxes everywhere just in case. You're not treating God like some kind of rainy day insurance policy that one day, actually it, you trust him with your life. And then he says this really, really cool thing. It's one verse. In one verse, he gives you every reason that you can totally trust him with every impulse of your life. One, one verse. Here it is. Luke chapter 12 and verse 32. He says this, don't be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. That's one verse, and it tells you everything you need to know about how you can and why you can trust God. This gives me absolute confidence to go all in and say, you know, I'm going to be generous with everything I've got. God describes himself. And he says, I want you to know that I am a shepherd. You're the flock, I'm the shepherd. I'm the perfect shepherd, which means I can guide you perfectly and protect your life. You don't have to be stressed out by what's going to happen next week, next month, or next year because I'm the shepherd. All you have to do is get in step with me and I will guide you to green pastures where your soul will be restored. I am the good shepherd. Stop being stressed about the future. Exchange your anxiety for my competencies. It's going to be okay. But I want you to know more than that. I want you to know that I'm a father. Don't be afraid, little fuck, because the father has chosen to give you the kingdom. God is not some kind of ogre. God is a father. And he's the perfection of fatherhood, not the reflection of your fatherhood. So he's not some kind of amalgam of all the best fathers you can think of. He's, he's the perfection of fatherhood. Do you know, what do I know about fathers? At their best, fathers are generous. At their best, fathers are inspiring. At their best, fathers are encouraging. At their best, fathers are a little bit soft. Do you know, if my kids want something that they know they shouldn't have, they don't go to mum. Because she's like got integrity. She, she's always straight. She, you'll always get what you get with Nikki. They'll come to me because I will bend the rules. And, I, and I've got a whole bunch of stuff going on. But, but there's a softness. I just want them to have nice things. I want them to, I, I, I want, and, and then that's in my best. I have some bad moments as well. But he's the perfection of fatherhood. What makes you think that he who has already invested everything in you, he gave his son for you, will not follow through on the deal? He's got your back. And then Jesus says, not only is he the shepherd father, but he's also the king. It's his kingdom. He's the king of the kingdom, which means that he has every resource under heaven. God is not short of cash. He's not short of an ability to underwrite your concerns. If he calls you to something, he underwrites it. He never says to you, I'm going to provoke you into something. I'm going to call you to something. And by the way, work it out, the financial thing. If it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. No, no, no. Because he's a good father who's a king. He's got every resource and he's able to underwrite the things that he calls you to. You do not have to be afraid. 
You do not have to live fearfully in this world. And then Jesus is so cool, he makes it really practical. He doesn't go, okay, that's the philosophical basis of how you're going to run this life. You're different economy, you get to be a steward, not an owner. You get to not be afraid. He, he then makes it really practical and he says, so, <clears throat> go and sell some stuff. Read it, it's in here. Go and sell, verse 32, verse 33, sell your possessions and give to the poor. I mean, that's, what part of that do you not understand? Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Now listen, don't hear me wrong. I don't think it's because Jesus has a bias towards the poor, although I think he does have a bias towards the poor. I don't think he says that because he's trying to bless poor people. I think he says it because he's trying to free your heart. Because he knows that if he can get you to sell some stuff, then you get rid of some boxes. And uh, you thin this out and stop owning so much stuff that causes you to have no margin in your life. And he knows that if he can get rid of some boxes and he can get rid of some stuff, then suddenly you have margin. And in the margin, you stop stressing about the stuff that you own because you don't own it anymore. And you stop stressing about the stuff that's clogging up your life because it's not clogging up your life anymore. And suddenly, instead of anxiety, you can have compassion. Because he knows that's your instinct. So sell some stuff. Get rid of some storage. You don't need it anymore. You're never going to use the widget thing that you put in a box somewhere. Get rid of it. You don't need seven cars and four houses. And Well, if God's given that to you and you know that's a plan, you know you, know you use it for the kingdom and it doesn't stress you out, then go for your life. But if, if it stops you doing the things that God has called you to do, get rid of the stuff. Jesus says, would you invest in my kingdom? And would you trust me to invest in yours? And then he says this, go, go and provide purses for yourself that will not wear out. I, I, I struggle with what that really meant. I think it meant, means make that the total instinct of your life. That's what you do from now on in all the time. This is how you live your life. You live with generosity. You don't acquire more stuff. You just keep giving it away. He pours stuff in. You pour stuff out. It's the way to live your life free. Free. Live generously. And Jesus says you can carry that box around if you want. You can take it from house move to house move and then your kids can open it up and then throw it away. But it will just clog up your life. You can have all these warranties and guarantees of all the stuff that you own or you can give them to me and we can work on them together. I'm the shepherd, father, king. Will you invite me into the arena of your finances? Let's pray. God, we pray um, a wheat and chaff prayer. In other words, that which was of you and was for our hearts and lives that's supposed to challenge us and encourage us and free us up. Would you sink it deep into our hearts so that it would produce a harvest? But that which was chaff, that was fleshy, it was of the preacher and it was not helpful for us. Would you blow it away on the wind so that it would do no damage? Jesus, we trust you. And we want to live free. We don't want to live anxious we don't want to live striving. We don't want to live accumulating stuff and we certainly don't want to be the owners 
of anything. So would you come and help us apply this stuff to our lives that we might live generously and be rich towards you. We ask this in Jesus' name.